Welcome to the first ever podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Baum. Real quick before we get into the show, I just want to say a very big thank you to anyone who checked out the new Touche Amore record called Lament. It came out last Friday, and uh, I'm just so thrilled that it's out into the world and available, and and people are getting it on vinyl that they pre-ordered, like, everything. It just feels really, really good. That that lead time from uh, recording a record and then having it come out is is sometimes excruciating, uh, you just want everyone to hear it right away. And then having uh, having the lockdown be involved in it just makes time move, <laughs> as you know, at a, at a much stranger pace. So the fact that it's out into the world is very exciting. So thank you if you checked it out um, in any capacity. Okay, moving on to the show. My guest today is Tim Williams. He sings in the uh, legendary New York Long Island hardcore band Vision of Disorder, who on a personal note, played a major role in my personal uh, connection to hardcore. They were the first hardcore band that I ever went and saw. Uh, we talk about it a little bit in this podcast, but um, Touche got to play with VOD some years back at one of those like Scion Fest things that they did in, uh, in Memphis. And it was just such a thrill to get to share a bill with them. One of those things I never really thought would ever happen. Um, so Tim coming on the show was a thrill. Uh, I've, you know, I've never really had a conversation with him outside of, uh, cornering him in a Starbucks in Memphis and letting him know how much his band uh, means to me. But um, I was so thrilled he came on the show. He's uh, he's a really, really sweet guy. Very, very open. Um, was really cool to hear a lot of the things that I've always kind of wanted to know since I was a kid. And uh, yeah, we kind of walked through so much of it. Um, his time on Roadrunner Records and just basically his journey as a, uh, a front person in a few different bands at this point between VOD and Blood Simple. And he wanted to uh, have me let everyone know that he actually is going in the studio in November to record a new project that he's been working on. So that's super exciting as well. Thank you so much for being here. If you're a fan of VOD, fucking strap in. This is cool. Uh, if this is your uh, introduction to VOD, I highly recommend checking out some of those uh, some of those records. Um, the self-titled record and imprint are just perfect records, if you ask me. She's just absolutely perfect. So this is the first ever podcast. This is my conversation with uh, Tim Williams. Thank you for being here. Here you go. Yeah, so Tim, thank you so much for doing this. I'm psyched to, uh, I'm excited to talk to you. You're someone that I I, uh, I knew I was going to bother at some point, but that flyer went around this week that got everybody, I think, I think when old flyers get posted right now, it it amplifies the nostalgic because the nostalgia because we're all stuck indoors so like there was that flyer right. that went around that was like uh earth crisis vod converge dead guy turmoil and endeavor which was just the most stacked show i've ever seen yeah imagine that the, uh, today oh my god that, that that is quite a bill you know i uh I'm happy to be here. You're definitely not bothering me, and uh, it's all good. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah, and then, uh, and then the, I think the band, the, the VOD band account posted the, uh, the video clip from it, and that that then amplified it even further. Where it was like, oh my god, <laughs> Jesus Christ, what a, what a better time right there. Do you yeah, remember? Do you remember yep. that show much? And then, you know, I, I, I don't really, you know, there were, needless to say, there were a lot of good shows, a lot of stacked bills that were done. And um, I'm not the most social media person there is. I know that we just started an Instagram account, so I have been paying attention, but I don't really, I'm not like one of those people who are, I don't like to be on my phone all the time. So um, 
I don't know. I don't remember it. Just that's is that an easy answer? <laughs> yeah. And and also bless your heart for being able to to do that. I feel like especially right now is when everyone is getting fully addicted to the internet or their their iPhones because what the fuck else are we doing? What are you doing to fill your time? Uh, 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 me, I, I try not, not you know, I try not to be on my phone. I get out of the house a lot, you know. I exercise. I ride bikes. I build stuff. I paint. Oh, that's wonderful. I write. I write. You know, a lot of a lot of writings and uh, music. You know, um, yeah, we've been inside for a, a while, but we've been getting out too. You know. Sure. Are you? So are you? Are you on Long Island right now? No, I, I actually, I don't, I don't live on Long Island anymore. I haven't lived on the island for quite a while. You know, I, I actually live in the Bronx. Oh, wow. Okay. Nice. Yeah. When did you move over yeah, there? No, it's great. Um, well, I moved into the city in like 99, 2000, and I uh, was in Manhattan for a while. Then I was in Brooklyn. And then about four years ago, five years ago, uh, I, I moved up here. Okay. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Were you born and raised on Long Island? Oh yes, yes I was. I was born and raised, and um, five very fond memories. I still get out there. I still have friends out there. Still have some family out there, and uh, I'm still out there. You know. Sure. And at what point did uh, at what point was like your first experiences with just kind of finding music? Um. Well, that's funny. When you when you um. Well, I would say like as early back as as long as i can remember honestly and i know that's a very cliche answer but i would say the first beginnings would be you know way back but like maybe third or fourth definitely grammar school i was definitely into motley crew and van halen and uh I know I didn't mm, I didn't have any older brothers. Uh, I was raised uh, a lot of girls around, which is great. Uh, I think it had a positive effect on my personality overall. But uh, so it was harder for me looking back. It was harder for me to be exposed to certain things, being that I didn't have any older brothers and my cousins. Uh, there was like one older, but he was like older, you know. Right. So I remember him playing me like Private Eyes and some Pink Floyd stuff and like the Who when I was really young, but like, you know, metal with uh, Motley Crue. I can remember as far back when, Vin, you know, when Vince Neil cracked up the car and killed the guy from Hanoi Rocks. Right. Like that was, I can't tell you the exact date, but that was way back in the 80s. But I was, I remember having a Motley Crue folder and I was looking at it because I guess at least what I was able to digest when I was young, like he had been missing for a couple of days after that. And I pictured him like, dead on the side of the road, but yet still in the Shadow of the Devil outfit. Because I was so young, <laughs> I didn't realize that these... I thought that's just the way these guys were. Like, I didn't right. realize they actually... Like, so I pictured him in the outfit on the side of the road somewhere. So that that could... I hope that gives you some insight to how yeah. far back that was. Well, you it's, know? it's funny. It's interesting to hear that as, a, uh, as like a landmark moment in your memory with music because uh, I'm a few, I'm a, I'm a little younger than you, but I remember like, that's, that's how I felt when, when it was announced that, like Kurt Cobain had died. It's like, you remember where you were. Wow. <laughs> I remember where I was. I remember. Where were you? Oh, uh, when Kurt, it's interesting because I do remember that I was on a adventure activities trip like I became like a um, a TA, like a college, prof like an assistant to like the professor of the class. Or well, I don't know if you want to call him a professor. It was an adventure activities class. And we were on a, 
a weekend excursion out way out on Long Island that you'd be like living in the woods, climbing all over trees and zip lines and all sorts of stuff. And uh, I remember when we got in the car. (laughs) It was a good class. Yeah. One of the the better ones. And uh, I remember I was with my ex-girlfriend at the time who I met on the first trip of that class. So the class was actually really good. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) um, yeah, I remember when we got in the car on the way home, we were driving home, we heard that. And she was like, oh my God, oh my God. And I was... Yeah, I was way more into hardcore then, so okay. it didn't didn't really hit me as hard. Sure, but I I remember where I was. I remember where it was. Yeah, it it's it's interesting the the things that stand out. I mean, obviously being you know him being such a figure in the music community, that's going to make a a big dent. But uh, recently now, uh, at least being from Los Angeles, when they getting in my car and hearing the announcement that Kobe Bryant had died, is I feel like that's going to be this generation's version of that because it's yeah, just such that a shocking was a big one yeah just so shocking um so so yeah so molly you know you found you found uh the the glam and and hair metal stuff did that uh did that interest you in wanting to become a musician at all or, or? oh absolutely yeah i was I, you know again not i don't want to not a cliche answer but i can i can't remember uh, from as long as i can remember i always wanted to be a musician and it was a singer and it was definitely back then too yeah absolutely you know so do you remember feeling like you were able to sing like uh when did you realize that you had that sort of capability um well i i was singing along to those <laughs> to those <laughs> records back then but it didn't really register to me you know i would say very very early early like high school i started like really getting into stuff and believe it or not i was there was an episode that i was really into u2 for a while sure and i was singing along to all that stuff like oh it's all i did honestly hours on end is just sing i would like you know i would just sing i would i would set up like you know when i was really young like set up like a fake concert and stuff like that And, and uh it was just something i did i did all the time and it was that was just or very very young like i'd say junior high i was just that's all i really did i was really into it yeah that's awesome did uh did you was there like a local record store that you could rely on like in, in your neighborhood yeah island sound that's what it was called island sound you could ride your bike there and uh you know i'd be in there you know going through the records i'd go in there and yeah i still remember when I bought uh, Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction, it was in, I, I remember getting the record and walking across, uh, uh, I think the school was Birch School. They had a, uh, a field that you would cut through the field to get to the record store. And I was walking back and I put, I had head, I guess I had a Walkman then, I put the headphones on and it was, I guess it, it was kind of like, I just, I could still remember the grass was just cut. There was heat. It was a warm day and I was just like, this album's, amazing (laughs) this is is insane and it was just i distinctly remember that i distinctly remember going to island sound and picking through whatever i can get my hands on again i didn't when i was young i didn't have any money my parents weren't really into buying me records so most of the stuff i got was from like i said the kid the, the kid who exposed me to uh to my early like rock and roll stuff his name was it was my Chuck Palateri. He was a, I don't know if I should say his last name, but my neighbor Chuck. And 
that was my friend's older brother and he was the one giving at that young age giving me like all this music and stuff and uh yeah, I remember going to Island Sound and like looking at all the posters on the wall and you know, I had my my whole room was covered. There was always at least one band that covered my room. There was definitely a Mot- Motley Crue every single wall, every inch of uh was covered with that, you know, and then it gradually changed. You know, I remember unfortunately Island Sound closed, so it was a free for all. The guy had posters on the wall like probably three inches thick so as he was giving away and selling everything and i remember as the weeks went by the the older posters like they would peel the layers back and i found like so many u2 posters like (laughs) a a boy poster yeah um just like at least like these rare posters like bono standing in some woods somewhere and um (laughs) What what was that record underneath the blood red sky or exactly, something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. That was that that one like these amazing posters and I, I'm pretty sure I had to pay for them, but but yeah, worth it. You no, know, music was well worth it. Music was it was there at a very early age. You know, I like the idea of. I mean, I don't like the idea of a record store closing, but I like the idea of the wall sort of like the different scenes being revealed uh, uh, by yeah. by section as the posters continue yeah. to come down. <laughs> yeah, it was it was truly it was unreal because that they, that place was there forever and like so many record stores it, it closed you know and, sure uh, fortunate yeah what do you remember do you remember what year that probably was I mean that would have been if, if we're talking mm, like early nineties hard it wasn't it, it was before like yeah it was probably around the Tower Records times you sure, know yeah it would be the early nineties because I'd be in like ninth grade yeah that makes and sense. yeah it would be the late eighties early nineties probably like eighty eight eighty nine or something like that. Um, it's funny, I guess when you, if you were to really sort of, you know, dig deep into the, into the thought of it, but I'm, if you were to like, kind of look at you as an artist and think about how you loved, you know, obviously like, uh, metal in that capacity, but also had a deep appreciation for you too. I feel like that kind of informed how you then approached hardcore music with the style of 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 uh of what you guys went for with it being so deeply melodic but also still so heavy at the same time yeah there's a big story behind that obviously um you know i had a lot of influences you know early on like i said it was like motley Crue and twisted sister you know this is when i'm super young you know this is like this is like i don't know when they put those records out so sure. I was probably in grammar school maybe early middle school and i'm digesting all this stuff i could still remember leaving a van i had a van halen hat and a pin that used to it had like a bad back and it would always scrape my head the pin but oh every time i put the hat on it would scrape my head but yeah. when you're that young you don't care and you keep wearing it but on the last day of school and it was probably it was either fifth or sixth grade it's a true story i remember taking the pin out of the hat and putting it in the desk and closing the desk and walking out like so i was this that was in grammar school that, wow. that happened and uh, i remember that van halen hat it's funny but um Moving forward, it's like I started in mid high school. I started getting into the doors, and you know, I'm sure everybody knows them. You know, they're one of my uh, favorite bands of all time. And I became obsessed. Like, I was already like, if you want to know what really pushed me into taking that step from singing in my basement to other people's records to 
getting it in my head that I want to do this for myself, it was none other than The Doors and Jim Morrison, period. Okay. I remember being all wasted out east because I've... I spend a lot of time on the East End of Long Island. Like if I'm on Long Island now, I'm usually out there. I love it. Heaven in the East, beautiful place. The North Fork of Long Island. I love it out there. I get out there as much as I can. And uh, I was at a friend's high school party. It was probably 10th grade. And somebody, I was wasted. And somebody, this is probably the beginning of my drinking too. So I was really like that high school drinking drunk. Like you're just... Just, just just don't know what you're doing drunk. with yourself at like, all. You're yeah, just, pissing yeah. yourself, throwing up all over the place, like yeah. just spins, like all new crazy experiences. And uh, somebody put on, there was one guy sitting at this some big rich house, some kid parents were away and that's where the parties were. And some two kids were sitting at like the kitchen, this giant kitchen table and they were playing this crazy party's going on and they're sitting around listening to the Apocalypse Now soundtrack. <laughs> Got and it. And I'm just like, yeah. and I just kind of tuned in and I could vaguely, I just remember, I went up to them like, what is this? And it was the end, was being played. And this is before the movie came out and I automatically, I really liked it. And then I think I went and barfed in the corner and that was <laughs> it. But that was like, that was like the beginning of the seed being planted and then the movie came out and forget it. Sure. I was just... That's it. You know, I was really into metal and music in ninth grade. And then I kind of got into like a weird U2 phase where I did a lot of isolating, didn't hang out with many people, but I was writing a lot and I was, you know, and then this happened and I was just like, that's it. This is what, this is what I'm doing. And uh, I remember one of my buddies had an older brother different older brother named Gus. And uh, he was a musician. He played guitar. He had like a four track set up. And uh, we got, you know, we, he'd always be around. Like he's one of those brothers that, you know, you remember this, he just walked around with a guitar. Sure. Like wherever he was, there was a guitar and he was just like doodling around. He'd vanish into his room, come out, yell at us or say something stupid, then disappear again. <laughs> and, uh, he he had a four track and he, I guess he was bored one day and I said, look, I got I got some stuff. Oh, you want And we did it. And I can still remember that the title of the song was like The Forgotten World. So I wrote the lyrics. It was probably like a poem because I write a lot of poetry and essays and stuff like that, too. And uh, I remember he played and I sung over it. And he was like, I'm not just saying this, but he was like blown away. Was, I was blown away. I'm like, holy shit. Like, this is, like I can this, do it, it sounded really good. And we did two songs, but the only one I can remember is Forgotten World. And it was sounded really great. And it was no screaming, obviously, nothing sure. like that. And uh, it's very Doors influenced. And um, I remember running to my cousin's house and playing it for them and every, and they were just like, this is really fucking good. Aww. And that's kind of how I started doing that. Like that was, that was the era of when it started to take all, like in my mind, this is what I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, not long after that came the formation of the mighty VOD. It's funny. Like I, I, with this podcast, I always like to ask like about first recording experiences and, and that, yeah. that might now be my new favorite version of it that's that's a really cool. special story that's really cool um thank you yeah it's and you know it's, i was going to get into this you know a, a little later but <clears throat> with i was like a total metal kid and then it was a situation where like you know uh, pre-internet so i'm buying up everything 
on the labels that I liked. So that's how I ended up finding VOD because I was a big metal kid. So I was, you know, listening to like Sepultura and Fear Factory and all these sorts of bands. So then like I bought the self-title record just on a whim because it was on Roadrunner. And I didn't realize it was right. like, I, I didn't know yet what hardcore was. For me, right. I was just like, I was like, oh, it's just a, it's, it's another band on Roadrunner and it's aggressive. So I like, you know, like I, I, I grew really attached to it pretty quickly. Um, still again, cool. not realizing that what the difference was or anything like that. And I think what converted me, cause I've been really thinking about it since, uh, since this, po- since this podcast became a, a possibility, you know, I, I start to really sort of think deep on, on, on the guest and like what, you know, the importance in my life that, that the guests have had and, and all this sort of stuff. But I think what, changed my direction to sort of not necessarily abandon metal but mm. turn my way is because you were singing about things that were that felt very thought out and genuine and mm. there was a message and also like as silly as it sounds like you can make out what you're saying you know what i'm saying it's like the the words right. are very cool you can decipher yeah, what yeah, you're yeah. saying which which um going forward like if i really like that's the the band that i play in like that's always kind of a comment that people make. It's like, oh, you can understand every single word, even though you're yelling. And I'm, and I think if I'm really going to dwell on that, it's that it's that that influences like your band had to have had an effect on me in that way, where it's like you gotta, you know, you you gotta enunciate, like make people be able to hear what you're saying. And I think that that stood out to me pretty drastically where it was like okay this guy's not just singing about you know generic metal things you know just right metal, metal lyrics you know i know there's there's definitely hey, bands sure, that, sure, sure. there's definitely bands that actually sing about real shit but like you know especially what i was listening to at that time i don't think there was a lot of it so my question is like who were you you're you know you've mentioned you wrote essays and poetry and things like that when did you find an interest in that? Because clearly you're a, you're you know a deeper thinker than a lot of a lot of people. So what was the influence there? Where did that come from? Uh, you know, again, I wasn't like the best student in the world, but um, early you know early on in high school, you know, I would always do like pretty decent in in like English stuff, and uh, you know, I would write a lot. Again, you know, getting into the doors that opened up a lot of it. You know, and it it just taught me to like. There's a whole other world. Like there's, it's there's just so many possibilities that one can express themselves. You know, I'm kind of just gonna go with this. You know, because sometimes, maybe later in life or when you're younger, people are very impressionable and they get like locked in and they feel like they can't do anything else because somebody's gonna like dog them or. They just they're they're shy about going elsewhere. But, you know, very early on, I was just into writing. It it made me feel good. And it made me it just made me feel like it was something I I could do and something that I was decent at. And very importantly, especially when it comes to like a poem or a lyric, it didn't take, at least in my mind at that time, it didn't take that much effort like you could sit, I remember sitting down up against a tree and I'd like read a little bit of a book and then I'd, I'd have a little pen and I'd write like, like a couple of lines. And it, then what I'm getting at is like, it's a, it was a more immediate gratification. And for me and my personality, that's how I thrive. Like I need to be able to see a result relatively quickly 
or there's a really good chance I'm going to lose interest and move on to something else. Whether or not that's a strength or a weakness, I don't know. It's worked for me so far. So, um, Did you ever end up putting anything like that out, or was it just for yourself? I did do some stuff. I don't know if anything any, anybody can find, but early on, as I got into I did do a little college, and again, VOD started getting, at least what we thought, pretty big as I got into. It was like late high school, very early college, and it was kind of like what I was saying before. Like I would go to school and I wasn't really good at much except for like science. Like I, that interested me. And like uh, English, like I, I wound up in a creative writing program, you know, uh, I wound up in like an advanced creative writing program. And then I got a letter written for me to go to another school and get into this other career. So it was, it was, it was something that was just happening. I guess some people were just seeing it, you know, it was more short form. Like I'm not into novels or anything. I don't have the attention span for that, but uh, it was cool. And that's kind of how the writing stuff happened. And yes, I read, I read like Kerouac and I read all the beatniks, Hunter Thompson, Henry Miller, Arthur Rimbaud, like those writers, T.S. Eliot, all of them really, read to me like when i read that stuff i really really like digested it and felt it and got into it you know and um a lot of that probably played out in especially the earlier lyrics you know and uh, yeah I, you know it's it's I'm, I'm going back to what you're saying about you know the instant gratification so so i i, I like you like i i'll i'll write poetry between records as a way to keep myself my creative brain or just my brain moving just in general, just to, just to do something. And for me, poetry has always felt like, um, less, there's less on the line, right? Because when it comes to lyrics, it's like you're writing lyrics and you know, then your head, you're just, you're going to have to perform these songs for however many years you're going to be in this band. Right. It's like, so you, you work extra hard to make sure the lyrics are, are everything you need them to be and it's like you can pine over them and you can you know rewrite and erase and rewrite and start over and blah 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 and drive yourself kind of crazy but right. do you but do you agree that poetry even though someone might not ever even see it it's just sort of like it's less there's less on the line so it feels more like a, a quick exercise to just get something out whether it's good or not it's just like it's not it's out of my head and here it is and maybe you can come back to it later but um is that what kind of kept you going with that yeah, definitely. Because again, I can carry around. I remember going on long, isolated hikes all over these beaches on Long Island that had these crazy cliffs and stuff. And I would just bring like a marble colored notebook and just walk around and I'd sit down and write a couple of things and just move on. And maybe they'd be some of them would become part of a song. Maybe that would be it. And it's just off in a book in my attic somewhere covered in dust that maybe I'll never open again, you know, but when it comes to stuff like that, and like you were saying in between touring and stuff, yeah, that's all very important stuff. And uh, yeah, a poet, a poem is a shorter exercise for sure. I guarantee it'll be better if you went back to it and revised it, you know, but sometimes, you know, you don't have time or you lose interest, but you definitely, you have to keep the creative juices flowing. And sometimes it's, Maybe you don't want to go scream and shout with a band because you just did that for three months or you did it for 15 years and (laughs) you just don't want to do it. But at least in my personal experience, the creative, it it, it always finds a way out. Like it's like I got to do something, you know, I build a lot of things. Like I said, I'm a carpenter. 
by trade. So I'm always like making, I'm always making something, whether it's in my shop or, you know, or I'm down here working on a song, you know, and more of like a studio setup. You can't mix the two, too much sawdust, but uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's something I take great pride in. And it's something that it helps my mind wander and just go on ease. You know, I'm just kind of focused on one thing and I'm not worried about everything else crashing down on my head in the world or do I need to be on social media or not? I'm focused with some weird low oldie station playing, sanding a piece of wood for two hours. Like, and that's something I find, you know, very, very uh, gratifying, you know? That's incredible. I mean, I, I've, I've joked that my goal in life is to uh, to be Forrest Gump out in the, out, have a, have a house out in the middle of nowhere and just, just mow my lawn all day. That sounds like the fucking dream. Yeah. <laughs> just throw in some headphones yeah, and it, sit on a lawn. It could be. This is the dream. You know? Um, I, 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 I'm curious. So uh, you find the hardcore scene. VOD starts. What's like? What's your? How do you make the transition from the Doors, U two, and you know the the Molly Cruz and the Guns and Roses? How did how did hardcore connect? Well, it's it's um okay. So I get crazy into the Doors, and U two kind of fades. Although I'll always respect that band to the utmost, but they kind of fade out. In ninth grade, I was super into metal, metal like Halloween, early Metallica, Megadeth, stuff like that. So that stuff is in me. It's just took a break for a while, whatever it was. I, again, I, I wound up just going a different way for a while. And then when I got into the doors, not too much longer after I started hanging out with Kennedy, who was, who, you know, the guitar player VOD and he, the VOD was already in like an infancy stage where it was him and Baumbach and then some other drummer from the neighborhood. And I started hanging out with these guys again because for a while, me and Mike were very on and off. And we I've known him since I was five, but we were really great friends and then we weren't, whatever. So we we kind of came back through a group of kids in the neighborhood, uh, the group of kids in high school that we all hung out with and partied with. And those kids were really into metal. And now, you know, Pantera is slowly starting to find its way into our circle of friends uh, Sepultura, all these, all these crazy bands. And especially one of my other friends, he was really into like any band, like any heavy band. So some of it I heard, I was just like, ah, like I wasn't into it. Cause the singer just wasn't doing it for me. Like and, some like cannibal corpse type shit or something. Yeah. Something yeah. I remember even one morning, like it was a big party. There's a lot of partying going on. It was a big party. We all slept over and he was the, my friend was like super anal about cleaning his house Needless to say, he wound up being a Marine, but he was like <laughs> super OCD maniac. And he'd be like scrubbing the floors, like just cleaning every inch of this house while we're all still passed out in the basement. And he was blasting something. I don't know what it was, but I was just like, what the fuck is this? And I was just so I'm like, ah, this it like turned me off to like yeah. metal for a couple of months. I was just like, what the fuck is this? This shit this sucks. And um <clears throat> Again, I was still pretty into the doors, but yeah. metal was starting to find its way. And like I said, VOD now, by then, you know, we were now in a garage band state where I was in the band. And, you know, an interesting story with, you know, and Pantera, I need to say, was a very big part of our story. And now that same friend who was blasting that horrendous music, like on another weekend, was playing Pantera. And I was just like, now this I can fucking get into. What the fuck is this? This is, and that was 
it. Like yeah, there's riffs. That there. was it. There's, you there's know now true riffs. That it was riffs. The the vocals, yeah. everything was just so amazing, and it was vulgar. It wasn't cowboys. Yeah, and it was so. I was just sold instantly, and um, by then, like I said, I just started to get into what was VOD, and I got in doing a, a an audition of the Trooper. Like that was the song that got me into VOD. Like they're like, yeah, come down, you know, try out. You know, try out maybe these songs. We'll see how you do. And I went down and I did that, and that was it. I was in, and um, it was funny because, <laughs> you know, the doors were still around and very prevalent, and uh, they did find like those melodic vocals. That's the reason, the main reason why there was a lot of melody and maybe different lyrical contact, contact in the uh, early VOD stuff because there was a, still a very very heavy-handed doors influence and it's kind of just happened it wasn't really thought about it wasn't planned it was just these guys would play the songs and i would just scream over them or, or shout over them because i didn't really scream yet you know and um i would sing like these melodic vocals and we had a couple of original songs and then um as i was getting deeper and deeper into pantera needless to say i wanted i started to feel like you know, we were kind of heavy. We were a thrashy early garage band. And I started, now I'm starting to sing along to like Pantera stuff. And I can still remember to this day, By Demons Be Driven was like the first song I actually screamed. Okay. And I, that was it. I remember going to rehearsal that day because then, you know, life was very easy and you didn't have any fucking responsibilities whatsoever. <laughs> so you could just jerk off with your friends all sure, day and yeah. play music in, in their parents' garage. And that's exactly what we did every day, all day. Uh, I mean, at that time in the 90s, um, Roadrunner Records was kind of doing everything. You know, like they yeah. they had, if you look at the, you know, obviously you know, but it's like you look at their discography at that time, it's like they were <laughs> batting a thousand because they were putting out Sepultura Records and Fear Factory and Machine Head and all that. But they also at that same time still seemed to have their, their toe dipped into a lot of the the New York hardcore stuff because yeah they were doing Biohazard and uh, Shelter and and all those sorts of bands. Um, did you how, how, like what was your initial reaction with with that coming your way? Were you just like oh my god we're doing it like th- like we're uh, we're well, officially like runner and all that yeah um, you know like I, I, <clears throat> we were you know by the time the the road running thing started to happen VOD was pretty big. You know, and again, I always say in what we what we thought was big because I don't want to sound arrogant or anything. But we were doing, you know, we were doing pretty good. I don't think we were national yet. We might have been, but on a very low level. But uh, we were playing shows for like two thousand people out on Long Island, you know, and uh, that court. And we also we were doing a lot of Northeast stuff, and um, we were we were playing PA. It seemed like every other weekend, but it was probably once a month. Whatever it was a lot. Like we were in Connecticut. Yeah. We'd be in Jersey. That was interesting. And we'd be in Pennsylvania all the time. And we knew a lot of people up there. And we played uh, a club called the Mantis Green with Shelter. Because I guess Shelter came back. It was a long time ago. But Shelter came back for a little while. And they were doing shows. And we played with them. And Ray Capo came up to to me, us, whatever, after the show. And was like, you guys are really fucking great. And I have this imprint on Roadrunner and we I would really like to for you to come in and talk to us. And we were like, holy shit, this, that's amazing. And yeah, of course, we knew 
all the bands that were coming out on Roadrunner. We lit. We were just like you. We listened to all every band. We listened to most more times than not. We're into that. And of course, when you you're that young, no experience in the music business. Like you know, not to trail off too far, but it's like there were at least where we were standing. There wasn't at least anybody we knew in our immediate circle wasn't really punching through to that level yet. So we bear. I don't even know if we had management then i mean and probably not no, why we're, would you we're, we're, yeah no we're getting into this fucking shock tank <laughs> that is roadrunner yeah and we had no idea and we were needless to say we were extremely excited we thought we had it made we're like this is it you know where this we're signing our deal it's for x amount of records we're going with this big time there's this producer we're gonna they're gonna give us all this tour support we were super excited and ecstatic you know is this is it this is what you worked this far for was to get to sign a deal. Like we were always very adamant and determined and disciplined to get to a place where we're going to sign a record deal. And here in our young, ignorant minds, we have arrived. And um, yeah, I think Ray's imprint was Super Soul. He took us into the city. Uh, you know, at this time, we're all still living on the island. You know, he met us at the city, took us to this restaurant that we thought was fancy but it's like the dojo i don't think they're around anymore but it was like a vegan friendly asian spin type place that everybody went to it was cheap and the food was good and he took us out to lunch there took us back to his apartment took us into roadrunner introduced us to our a and r guy who was howie abrams at the time you know your, yeah. your mind's being blown you're in fucking roadrunner records you're in the city you turn around and fucking Max Cavalera is walking down the hallway. And you go, oh, man, I dig your band. You're like, this guy's got fucking tattoos on his neck. He looks fucking, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, and it's yeah. just, it was a very exciting time. And what do you call it? The honeymoon phase? Sure. And it was, we were very excited. It was, it was great. And the world was like our oyster. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you did that record with Jamie Locke, who has, who yeah. was definitely like the, a very much like New York hardcore producer at that time. I, I mean, I know he did. Like, sure, sure. It was fun. I was looking him up last night and I was like reading more about him and I was like, everywhere says like, you know, multi-platinum gold selling record. And I'm like going through and I'm like, none of these records that I know went platinum. Like then I was like, oh, yeah, he did that know. Marky Mark record. <laughs> he he <laughs> I, did some interesting stuff. He oh, did, no doubt. Did, you know, yeah. yeah I, I was just trying, I was looking stuff. through it. I'm like, wait, it says gold and platinum selling record like i was like did those madball records go gold like what yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is the one and then i was like oh shit i see it's marky mark that's what's up <laughs> like that's sick good for that guy um yeah i'm sure that was a that was an exciting experience though going in with him and probably sure feeling feeling like uh you got to come up with something real important and real strong and um it's funny i i'm sure you've been this has come your way uh, at least once or twice in your life but the uh there's certain like attributes of records of that era that always stand out to people when you're talking about different hardcore records or or whatever but you know like for snap cases you're going to talk about the snare drum sound on progression or something like that right, right but right. but uh the green drop give me yeah, just sick. just what talk to me about the cover for like two seconds where did that come uh, from God, there's it's a it's almost like a two second story <laughs> okay. um you know the green drip you know <sighs> We we had finished the record. Again, we're a bunch of kids. A record took a really long time. I don't want to, you know, we could talk about it, but that wasn't really a question. Yeah. But the record took a while. 
It was our first real recording experience. It took a while. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so time was ticking. They're like, you guys got to get us a cover, blah, blah, blah. We're like, oh, God, we don't know. And we were kind of like, you know, we're young, we're partying, we're, 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 we're rocking around all these different parties and playing shows. The shows are packed. You know, we're like on our way up. Things are very exciting. So we were kind of like, I wouldn't say we slack, but we were just, we were running out of time for a cover. And they're like, you guys got to get a cover. <laughs> and we were just like, all right. And so me and Kennedy, we went to the local library and we just started going through books. Yeah. And we just, we were just, we found like verbatim, like we found like, uh, just kind of, we were looking for scenes of destruction and distress. And we were kind of getting these clippings together, running over the Xerox copy, making a copy, getting like a little packet together to give to the art department for Roadrunner. And I believe the infamous green drip came off something like just some flyer somewhere that we just kind of saw. And we're like, wow, that could be kind of in our fucking whacked out minds. We're like, that could be kind of cool with, you know, so we kind of submitted that with the the packet of all like, just like, you know, scenes of riots and scenes of war, blown out cities, rubble, you know, burned out buildings, you know, stuff like that. And we submitted it all to the art department and they just started coming up with stuff. So honestly, it was really just me and Kennedy in a, it went to the library one day and just searched through a bunch of books and just came out with that. And that's, that's the, that's, that's the story of the green drip. Well, to be, I mean, it's obviously a very different cover. It's ones that stands out completely on its own. And I'm glad that it did become that cover because it's talked about, it's a talking point. You know, it's like, what was right. the story with this? Because if you had just <laughs> gone with generic photo of destruction or a, you know, something's on fire, you know, whatever. It's like, I don't think that record, the cover would have, would have been ingrained in all of our heads. You know what I'm saying? Like everyone yeah, knows that album right. cover, you know? So, so props uh, to the, the art yeah. department for at least, you know, maybe thinking about that or, or whatever. And props to you guys for, for choosing it. Cause that was the, that was definitely the right move. And then, so <clears throat> I have to, I have, we have to, we have to jump to, to, to imprint. So it's funny when I was looking at, sure. looking at all your records, Every record you guys did had a very interesting, cool, or very specific producer, which I think is great. That's one of my favorite things about, you know, when you're looking at a band's history where you're like, every record they did a different producer up until now, you know, and every single producer you've ever worked with are some very good names or very cool names from all these different kind of backgrounds or, or worlds, you know? Um, so doing that record with Dave Sardi, I didn't, I don't even think I realized you did it with him. And that's a really right. interesting guy. Cause he had such a wild career and he still does, you know, sure. he's, he's done a lot of sure. very, very interesting Amazing records. Stuff. Um, I, I, mean, I think the same record he did your record, he did the, the far record water and solutions, which is like another one of yep. my kind of all time favorite albums. Um, yep. <laughs> but I got to, you know, it, I'm sure you've talked about this a hundred times, but you know, you talked okay. about how much Pantera, had such a such a massive influence on you i mean i can't even imagine sure. what it felt like getting phil to sing on your record it was a, you know I, I, you can ask me anything you want it's it's totally cool um it was a huge moment there's no other way to put it it was a huge moment in my career and also in vod's career you know it was just one of those moments, if not the moment, you know, we as a band did like amazing shit 
you know, as a singer, I've gone on to do some pretty incredible stuff too. And, you know, to be, to get that to happen was just unbelievable. It was a, it was a great, Nothing but fond memories of that whole experience. Yeah, you know, it was, it was like crazy. It's <laughs> yeah, it's like a, you know, I. It's funny. I actually just submitted. We're doing a bunch of press because we have a, a new record coming out in October. And like one cool. of the things I they asked me to do, one of these publications asked me to like put together a playlist of you know whatever I wanted. And what I came up with was like <clears throat> bands that pulled guest appearances that were like kind of big flexes right so right, i was like right. i was like I, I don't i don't know how much people really realize this it's like it's fucking huge to for a hardcore band to have gotten phil ensemble to sing on the record like i can't think of another time another band did that like that's a that's a massive get you know um so yeah that that definitely left an impression on me and it's funny uh i don't know that i i'm sure we didn't talk about this when when we hung in in memphis but uh i worked at a record shop in California here out of high school, I decided to do that instead of go to college. And cool. my coworker was uh, James Morris from Downset. And we worked. Oh, wow. Yeah, we were. Uh, yeah. He was he kind of became the guy that took me under his wing and, you know, really opened me up and kind of kind of made me a lot more of a comfortable person talking to people and just, you know, whatever. So he regaled me with stories all the time. And uh, he knew I, I came into work one day wearing a VOD shirt. And he was just like, are you kidding me? Those are my boys. <laughs> He's the bass player, yep. right? James was the bass player. Yeah, yeah. That show. We remember. Yeah, that. big, yeah, tall, white guy. guy. Really great guy. <clears throat> yep. Yep. Yeah. Great guy. And uh, yeah, he was, I think, was that, I mean, he, he told me stories about touring with Pantera. But uh, I, I'm curious, was that, was that that same tour by chance? Like, was it Pantera downset VOD or something? No, okay. I wish. No, we did. We did the Ozfest with Pantera. Okay. So th that they, that's the the friendships were developed and fortified through the Ozfest that led to that recording. We we the, although Downset was on the Ozfest, but it wasn't like a three band. You know, it was yeah, fucking sure, Ozfest, sure, sure, sure. You know what I mean? Um. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, it's uh, you do imprint, and then obviously you know the band the the band doesn't. Uh, ends up kind of taking a little bit of a hiatus. You came back. You did the For the Bleeders record, which was, uh, I, I love that you went back and like re-recorded some of that older material and, and did this interesting thing on Go Kart, which is also I remember that striking me as as a as a wild label choice because even though I know they did you know some some stuff that was like New York hardcore, but they also did a lot of like kind of like riot girly stuff or more like yeah. what would be considered pop punk, I guess, of of certain things. So. Um, that release was super interesting. Uh, did you, did it feel good to go in and kind of like re-record those songs? Because obviously when you do them at the first place, you know, you're in a primitive state of your band and now you've played these songs a hundred times, like, or a thousand times. Uh, was that like a, a quick process? Do you remember of just like knocking those songs um, out? Yeah, but it's a slippery slope. I don't know if you, uh, I'm sure you can identify with it. You know, re-recording old material is always like, a slippery slope because you're like trained to your, your ear and your mind is trained and almost imprinted. No pun intended, no pun intended of yeah. how a certain song of how a certain song sounds, Yeah, you know? And, uh, when you go in and redo it, you're just like, Oh shit, is this better? Or is this worse? <laughs> and we, you know, we didn't really have much of that reaction. It's sure. just, it was fine. It went well. It was exciting. We did that at big blue meanie, which Tim Gillis had a, 
a more professional studio now at the time and it was real nice and he took care of us and we had a lot of fun going there. He had like a whole room you could chill at and we had some friends come down and we were just, we were just having a lot of fun. And what I, what I do remember, yeah, to answer your, your question directly, it was cool to re-record the stuff. It was cool to hear it on a, in a more, a, a bigger sounding at room and just, you know, where seasoned musicians by then doing that. But what I really liked is the, we did some of the newer songs on that, on that thing was, was really fun to track. Like I really, I really liked what I think for the bleeders is on that. And then there's, um, there's the other track. I can't, (laughs) my own title slipping on my mind right now, but, uh, it's, uh, I really enjoyed those tracks and those, I think it's Adelaide. Adelaide, That's the name of it. Adelaide. And, uh, you know, Adelaide, those, not to go too far off course, those lyrics were pretty, they meant a lot to me. They were written based on part of our journey or my journey through Australia when we toured uh, towards the end of the Roadrunner days on the imprint record. And so those lyrics in that song have a lot of meaning to me. And it was a good time. You know, there wasn't too much pressure. You know, we were we were off Roadrunner. It was kind of hard to. It wasn't the most pleasant split, and um, we had done a really a couple of years of serious fucking touring. So this was more of we're gonna give this for the fans because we we weren't yet done yet, but we knew we weren't gonna really do anything because we were off a label and yeah. we weren't ready anyway. And so go kart, you know, Greg was cool. He, he was a real easy deal. And um, it was something that, you know, looking back on it, it was a good moment for the for the band, you know, here's here's a this is a this is a total me being a geek question that I that I've always been kind of curious of. So the, so Glassjaw is one of my all time favorite bands. And, and we actually sure, we sure. just we just the record we just did was with Ross Robinson, um, which obviously cool. did their record. So like, yeah, uh, I know I remember seeing, you know, you thank them in like the, you know, the on the green drop record layer they're in the thank you list and that had to have been when they were straight up teenagers so oh, yeah. do you remember or did you ever have a conversation with them about going to roadrunner or anything like that or were you were you still in touch really at that point no you know we kind of you know daryl and but yeah. back great guys you know but we you know we were kind of in different sure. orbits by then you know if they had asked us obviously we'd have, we would have helped them because like like what i was saying Earlier on in the conversation, I'll try and make this quick. Like we didn't have any guidance, you know. By the time Glassjaw came around, at least they had. If they needed some help, we would, you know, kind of help them if they needed some advice. We didn't have that, and we made some big mistakes, you know. But uh, you know, funny Glassjaw story is I still remember. I'll make this quick. You know, Daryl when he, I guess he had his first band, Minority overall, and I still remember Daryl setting up shows for <laughs> VOD at yeah. the Right Track Inn. I remember going to, I guess, his parents' house in Belmore to pick up like show flyers and this little tiny wiry little kid answers the door. It was just like, yeah, it's like your little brother. <laughs> it was it was just it was he's like, here, man. You know, it was just it was funny. And then, you know, to watch what he became and what he has become is great. You know, he's it takes a lot for me to give kudos to a singer or to like a singer. Because I, you know, needless to say, because I am. And Daryl has grown in to become just a, a brilliant, great artist. Like, he puts out amazing stuff. His voice is incredible, you know. And Glassjaw, they're just a great band. You know, I have nothing but good things to say about them. And, 
it was great to, you know, kind of come up with them. He, I remember he and I having a conversation once where he actually, I remember we talked about, you know, VOD, because again, just being a geek for all that stuff and, and him, you know, citing you as, as far and away one of the biggest influences in his life vocally and, and all that sort of stuff. So I'm sure, uh, I'm sure he feels the exact same way about you. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's easy cool. to say. Cool. Um, We've crossed paths over the years, you know, it's not like I haven't seen him. Sure. It's great. Yeah. I think great he guy. lives in Florida now, which is, which is oh, wild. Oh shit, that I didn't know. I thought he lived in the city. Last time I saw him was like on a street and like where I used to live in Manhattan, we just like ran into, into randomly ran into each other. But sure, yeah, no, good, I, I, good dude, good dude. I saw him at a, we did a festival together a few years back, and and yeah, got married, has a kid, and lives in Florida. Oh, um, for him, man, it's crazy. Yeah, time, 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 time will do that. So time just goes through us. Absolutely, We're just here. Uh, well, let's just keep this one short. So you know, the band comes back. You do you then you you signed a TVT, which is now like yep. the major label. Like the, I mean, Roadrunner is a major in its own capacity, obviously. But like, there was that that wave of of bands in the in the very late '90s, early 2000s, where major labels were like, "Oh, we could we could we could t- try our hand at signing a hardcore band and and see w- if we can make them, you know, yeah, uh, a, a little more." Lots of labels play that game. Yeah, yeah, it was an interesting, you know, and we've seen it happen again now. It's it's sort of happening again right now. But uh, was that? experience like going you know because i know you did that record with machine who who uh had uh, again another producer with a lot of a lot of history and a lot of wild records uh you know from like yeah. popular active rock records but also you know he did lamb of god and all that sort of stuff too um sure did you go into that record uh with the mindset of like let's do a little bit more of a straightforward thing uh a little bit more maybe Alice in Chains but still have our take on it was that was that like the the goal going in or did that was that more producer influenced no well um <clears throat> i love machine he's a fucking outstanding producer absolutely he's definitely i've worked with a lot of people and i've worked everybody's been great and everybody presents their skill set that's that i Everybody I've worked with has been really great. I don't really have anything bad to say about anybody. And if I did, I wouldn't say it. But uh, <laughs> um, Machine was just amazing. He was really great vocal producer. Unbe- I, he was, me and him just clicked. And But again, to answer your question, VOD, again, we're growing as musicians at this at this time, especially in the late 90s, the go-kart era. You know, we did we did two hardcore records. You know, we were uh, our style and our we as people were changing. Our music musical influence, which were changing in a big way, and uh, we wanted VOD. One of the things we always, one of the things we actually do plan is every record's got to be different. We're yeah. not gonna we're not gonna go back to the blueprint and write the one two three four count off with the breakdown. We're not we're never gonna do that. We don't want to do that. We have no interest in doing that. It's got to stay new it's got to stay interesting or i'm out right you know and uh and we always challenge ourselves so we consciously went in and basically just went for a different style like i still remember the studio we had on long on the long on long island by then i i had moved into the city so i'm hanging out with a whole different group of people and a whole different atmosphere um and we had this great studio. We signed the deal. It was a big deal. So there was money around. So we were lucky enough to, for at least a couple of solid months, 
just work on music in this great studio. It was a rehearsal room, yeah. you know, and uh, we were able to just sit there and, you know, some of the songs were writ written in one studio where it's more just, you know, we're just trying to find the sound and we're trying to finish up the go-kart songs because we wanted to put two new songs on it. And we're kind of dipping our finger in this new sound. The songs are starting to develop. They're sounding pretty good. We recorded a demo with Tim Gillis. And then we had like a different manager who was, uh, he was a really good manager. And uh, he got us in the door with TVT. He was the one to hook us up with Machine. We re-recorded a couple of songs with Machine out of that first session. And he made them just amazing. They were just so fucking good. And that's like your example of pre-production and an influence from a producer, you know? And he was a lot of it vocally. And he really helped build this new sound that we were going for. And, you know, when the guys heard that, that demo, the, the Bliss demo, they were just like, and it was like two or three songs, I can't remember, that was given to TVT. They were just like blown away. Like it wasn't even a doubt in anybody's mind that we weren't going to go in with Machine to do this record. And we went in and again, we had a lot of time. We had a good amount of the songs already already written. And we just had something that never happened till then, at least in this depth, like we did a very heavy pre-production where the songs were ripped apart, maybe redone, edited, vocals were rewritten, you know, and that really took, you know, took that record in a different tone, but it wasn't like it became out of our control. We weren't really going for a radio thing or a poppy thing. No fucking way. We just wanted to do more on organic not I'm not gonna say hard rock, but just a more organic feeling sound, more towards a Black Sabbath, Soundgarden, Alice in Chainsy vibe than opposed to our previous records. And I think, you know, we set out to do what we wanted to do, you know, and you know that I'm proud of that record. You know, that record caught some heat, but it's interesting as I go on in my career, I catch all sorts of people from all different walks of life giving me props for that record whereas when it first came out people were like what the fuck is this like we right, definitely yeah. caught some heat we caught we caught some heat but if you're an artist that's what it is yeah you're gonna catch heat and, and, and you know i to be on to be honest like you know we all we i think if you're a fan of a band and you see like okay they signed to a major what's gonna happen and even if you don't connect to it as a fan because it is different like i think it's always a very interesting part of a band's career that i'm always super interested in and i think more times than not those records age better than people realize mm. you know because you can hear the effort put into it you can hear what they're trying to do sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes it does but that's a record for me that the more I come back to it, the more, the more I've liked it, you know, like at that right. point in my life, I became way more of like a straightforward hardcore kid and all, and all that sort of stuff. Sure. But, but I was working at a company that did like street team stuff. And I remember we, I'm pretty sure we worked on that record. Cause I remember getting all the, the promo stickers for it and everything like that, which I was right. really thrilled about. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I appreciate specifically the work that that bands do in in that situation because they have to sort of prove themselves. They have to sort of, 
you know, step outside of their comfort zone and and now they're on a new label and they're doing music videos and and all that sort of stuff. So, yep. so yeah, yep. like I, I respect the hell out of it. And I remember you went back to Machine for even a Blood Simple record, right? Sure. You know, I became pretty close friends with Machine. You know, I'm a, you know, I'm a little lost touch with him now because he moved, but... We love that. I love that guy. You know, he's really great. And yeah, I went I went and did Blood Simple with him. You know, that was something I came up with because I just I really wanted to work with him again. I just know what he's I know what the both of us are capable of doing together. You know, he did a track with me. He's done a bunch of stuff with me, you know, not just those two records like we've done like singles together you know, and he's, he's just a great guy. And he's, he just, he gets me, he knows, he knows how to get a performance out of me. And, you know, we even did uh, the curse remain curse. We went back into his camp. We did it with Will Putney, right. but Will was fucking, Will was the engineer on the blood simple record. So Will's in that family. We'll learn from machine, you sure. know, and uh, it's just, um, I can't, you know, machines are great. He's just great. You know, he, he really, uh, He's he's great to work with. It's funny. I remember right when Blood Simple kind of first got announced or it was a thing. The record had just come out and uh, a friend of mine and I went to see just you guys play because I think you were opening for Mudvane. It was Mudvane? Yeah, it was Mudvane. Yeah, in, definitely. In Hollywood. Yeah. And uh, that tour got announced and I was my 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 friend and I were just like, well, let's Let's go see Blood Simple. We went in, watched you play, and then uh, and then no disrespect to, to Mudvayne, but that wasn't for us. So we were like, I was yeah. like, I just want to go see Tim sing in his new band. Like I, I'm psyched to see this, and, and uh, yeah. it was a uh, it was very exciting to see uh, you in that capacity, like in a, in a different sort of feel. Even though I know Mike's in that band as well. Um, yeah, but yeah, it was super cool. Um, yo, I'm sure we could do this all day and, and it'd be fun to have you back sure. on and kind of, uh, dip deeper into, into some of this stuff, but this has been super awesome. I have one last question that I, that I like to round out every show with, um, okay. which is, do you remember the first time where you felt like you had sort of achieved all these things you've been working towards? Like if there was a, one specific moment that stands out in your head, I'm sure there could be several, but one that stands out where you're like, holy shit, we're doing it. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's gonna, it's gonna take a minute, you know. Uh, one specific moment, you know, there was, there's a lot of them, but you know, I don't know, like what people really answer that question to, but like, there's a lot of experiences, I guess, playing live or, you know, being backstage at, at, at a festival where the the ba- the where Jerry Cantrell and Mike Inez sneak you onto Guns N' Roses stage That's because they're like friendly crazy. with you now yeah. and now you're on the side of the stage watching full on Axel go bananas in front of thousands like I don't know how 20,000 people yeah. you're so close to him that you could make out his tattoos and you see his tattoos and you're just like you're blown back to that grassy field that I walked across in the eighties listening to appetite for destruction. So that's a moment, you know, where you just, you're starting to hang out, hang in circles where these people just grab you and no one was getting on that stage. Right. (laughs) And they got us, they got me and Brendan on and we got to watch the entire set from the side of the stage with those two guys. (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs) And it was, that's yeah. So yeah, yeah. everything about that's, that's, that's the stories I'm looking for right there. Those are the moments that, you know, it's one thing, you know, I, I understand obviously when people are like, oh, we played this one show and we got to play in front of a thousand people. It's like, yeah, of course, that's a special moment. I totally get it. 
Um, the what I, the one for myself I come back to a lot is the first time we got to play Reading and Leeds Festival because I was just like, mm. yo, I grew up with like Nirvana live at Reading, you know, like shit like right. that. It's like, yep. and somehow I'm here now. This makes no fucking sense. Like it's crazy. It's um, amazing. Yeah, but I love that. That's super cool. Thank you for sharing that, and thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah. This was a this was a thrill yeah. for me, and uh, it means a lot. Yeah, no problem. It's been great. Anytime, anytime, man. I appreciate it. All right. I'll let you go. All right. See you, Tim. All right. See you. Take care. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe or follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen. And if you can spare a moment to give us a rating and review on Apple, it helps the show gain more visibility and that can make all the difference. Thank you. And I'll see you again next week. Yes.